Welcome to episode 81 of the Movie Brats podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well. It's almost halfway, well, not quite halfway through the year, but we're getting into kind of the summer movie season. We have a Fast and Furious film coming out, came out. We have a live-action Disney remake, none of which we plan on reviewing. I don't want to see either of those movies, but... And then a new Indiana Jones movie that's been getting yeah. very mixed reviews. Yeah, I don't really have any excitement about that. <laughs> I, it's hey, like my, it was a sensation at Khan. They had a big standing ovation. No, 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 no. Every movie... <laughs> gets people walking out. I heard people said that people walked out of the 20 minute short that Godard directed. And it's like, you know, they just do that. You know, every, <laughs> the applause is as long as the movie. And it's also like, you'll <laughs> see headlines like movie Indiana Jones gets lukewarm five minute standing ovation. And then rapturous. And, I, and like six minute <laughs> standing, a rapturous six minute standing ovation. Like it's, it doesn't make sense. They should stop the the standing ovation timing it's ridiculous <laughs> it's becoming a cottage industry reporting on it um but we are gonna review three uh movies that were released this year i think our last episode was our first reviewing movies from 2023 um and we're gonna or at least i'm gonna start being better at seeing them i know you jonathan have already seen about 20 movies released this year about 35 i think 35 <laughs> i'm falling behind your tally is much higher than mine um, but we are going to start with what was one of the more anticipated releases of the year um, from one of the more exciting uh, younger directors from the last 10 years or so. It is Bo is Afraid, directed by Ari Aster, who previously directed Hereditary in Midsummer for the studio A24, who made a very big investment on this movie. I think it was as much as his last two movies in budget combined. Um Starring Joaquin Phoenix, Patti Lapone, Nathan Lane, and Amy Ryan, along with some other uh, familiar faces. After uh, It is about after the sudden and unexpected death of his mother, a paranoid and neurotic middle-aged man embarks on a surreal odyssey to return to his hometown to attend her funeral. Uh, released originally April 1st at an Alamo draft house was its premiere, a U.S.-wide release of April 14th. A Metacritic score of 63 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 68. I found this to be a movie that almost exists beyond criticism. It's so baffling, um, but sometimes very exciting. Jonathan, what did you think of this movie? Well, you say that, but it's also a film that's one of the films that you most want to critique and talk <laughs> about. Um, yeah, I, I'll just start with kind of my reaction to Astor's films leading up to this. So, uh, I don't like Hereditary as much as everyone else does. I think it's a film that is extremely well made on a technical level, has great performances. I mean, Tony Collette is really, yeah. it's one of the better horror performances uh, in the last decade. And I thought it had really good scenes. Like I liked everything about the movie pretty much, except it coming together. I <laughs> except felt like the whole was... thing put together. <laughs> I know it was like really good scene, really good performance, really well made, 
but it never coalesced into a satisfying whole. And I felt like the ending was not earned. I thought it was kind of silly and I don't have a problem where it went. I just felt like it didn't earn it. Uh, I've only seen it once. I really would like to go back and rewatch it, but um, it's a movie I have a lot of respect for, but I don't actually like it that much as a whole. Uh, And it's like, considered by a lot of people to be like one of the like five best horror films of the last 10 years. I, I don't feel the same way. I actually liked Midsommar more. Um, I did as and, well. And I think that the movie is interesting in that Bo is afraid is his most comedic, you know, <laughs> outwardly comedic film, even though it's not a comedy comedy, like the hangover or Judd Apatow film, <laughs> but uh, Midsommar is like he says as much in interviews that like it's kind of a joke like midsummer is a horror film also like hereditary but it's like a dark comedy like really dark but it's kind of a comedy yeah like makes fun of grad students and you know like drug culture and stuff like that in a sort of funny and, way and it's like the i would put it on the list of films that people should watch before getting married or committing <laughs> to like a really serious relationship uh, like a litmus test and uh, you could say that Bo is afraid is kind of one of the ultimate uh, disappointing your mother movies with psycho I'm not saying it's as good as psycho <laughs> but it's it's in that category of movies the disappointed that, mom <laughs> right so um, yeah the movie's two hours and 59 minutes long yeah. it's too long um, in the way, I don't think it's the same exactly, but it all may, in a weird way, it's almost exactly the same length as The Wolf of Wall Street, which I think may also be exactly two hours and 59 minutes long. It's just under three hours. And there is a part of both of those movies where they're too long, but they almost need to be too long because of what they're supposed to be exhausted by the end. Right. Of and I think Bo is afraid. It's it's flawed. It there. I think that the first 45 minutes is exceptionally good like really some of the best filmmaking of the year so far. And there's a lot about the movie I do like. I'm really impressed with a lot of the the creativity and the performances, just the, it's a big giant swing and it doesn't really hit all of its targets. It certainly doesn't, but I much rather these days see an interesting auteur take a big swing and go for the fences even if it's not entirely successful, then like a large majority of mainstream movies, like give me a flawed movie like this over any Marvel or DC or Fast and Furious or like, you know, so much of cinema is just so safe and cookie cutter. And this is, though flawed, is adventurous and daring and strange. And so I certainly like it more than I dislike it, but it is a flawed film. Well, I think cookie cutter is a good sort of way to describe most movies in comparison to this, um, which, you know, if like most movies are a cookie cutter, this one like sets the kitchen on fire um, <laughs> where yes. it's almost like an anti film um, because like there's not there's not really an ending. I mean, not I mean, there isn't like an ending. There's a sort of finality to how it ends, but it's not like there's sort of like emotional payoff or like a climax even really. I mean, there's sort of a climax, but it also sort of like putters out in a strange way. Um, where if you like really wanted to give Ari Aster a lot of credit, you'd say he's doing something like expanding the possibilities of the medium and questioning what movies are and what they 
should be because our sort of understanding of movies in America is essentially a commercial product where people make an investment and want to return on the investment and expect to make money and have audiences come back to it and stuff like that. And Bo's Afraid almost like purposefully puts off audiences um, in, a way, just in a way that's very brave because for like a money making venture to like intentionally confuse and probably like make people angry. Like I can imagine if like an average cinema goer just like bought a ticket for a movie and went and saw Bo's Afraid that they would actually be pretty upset that like they wasted their money to see something like this. Um I think but, people were saying, I don't know if they did ever a cinema score for the film. That's the thing where they test people. Just they, like a normal they, audience. Yeah, about giving it A to F. And I think the last film that got an F score was Darren Aronofsky's Mother. You yeah, know, and, and it's something like that. <laughs> yeah, there are a number of movies that have gotten the F score that I actually think, and a number of critics actually thought were good films. I also quite like a film William Friedkin did Bug based on the Tracy Let's Play. I mean, it's a type of movie that like Mother and Bo is afraid where, you know, after you walk out of it, you're not like, oh, I had a great time with that. I mean, it does <laughs> no. what it's doing effectively, uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's not for the average moviegoer. I mean, I would even say just because you liked Hereditary and Midsommar, doesn't mean you like this yeah no because it's like it's kind of a horror film but i think of it more as like a dark existential comedy <laughs> dread uh odyssey <laughs> yeah i mean like Eraserhead. you mentioned before we started recording there's not a lot of other movies i could think of to really compare to something like this but I, it um, reminds me of a lot of other movies kind of mished together like yes uh like i think the first 45 minutes it's certainly rem reminiscent of a racer head. There's even kind of the elevator that isn't working as it should. A man's trapped uh, in his apartment and there's just this kind of hellish, you know, yeah. city that around. It also uh, reminds me of Jacques Tati's playtime where especially the first 45 minutes, there's so much going on in the background. There's, there's, you know background extras that seem like they could have a whole film to them and yeah. there's just so much detail it's just like madness is happening and chaos and stuff like that right i mean it's much more manic and anxiety inducing than anything tati did even though playtime has this kind of uh that's more like claustrophobic and um there's like a sense of not being able to breathe in that movie because of sort of like modernism and, and industry and all the like car smog and stuff like that Bo's Afraid is like a sort of paranoia of a very sort of different kind, um, which is what it's it's one of those ones where I, I mean, nothing is realistic. So it's very hard to tell if this is supposed to be like something that's imagined from the main character's head. If like he actually should be afraid, if like really terrible things are actually happening. Um, I mean, it has the logic of a dream. I mean, so for me, like the only sort of pieces I can really compare it to are like James Joyce. There's a section in Ulysses that's like sort of set as a play that happens in uh, a brothel. And then there's his Finnegan's Wake, which like starts and begins at the same point and all is sort of through the logic of a dream. But um, it's this is sort of one where I almost like the idea of it more than I like the experience of of sitting through it, because I mean, it definitely tested my patience. And there was like a good, good bit during those three hours where I'm like, can this movie sort of just end already? Um or get to the next section, do yeah. something different. Yeah. I mean, and I think the film is kind of a 
meta commentary on stories, on narrative, on storytelling about, you know, it's this man going through an odyssey and it, it, it is kind of a big, long shaggy dog joke in a way. And it kind of just ends and, um, we don't necessarily want to give away the ending, but it's a very meta ending yes. where like what's happening during the whole end credits, there's an image that's on screen for the whole end credits. It's like, it's almost happening in the audience when you're watching it, you know, yeah. there's this uh, <laughs> replication. And I think that the film, it, it, it's, it's this awkward thing where when it's disappointing or it doesn't entirely work, there's a part of you that's like, well, that's what it's doing purposely, but it's still not entirely satisfying. <laughs> you no, know, like, exactly. It's like, I, I get it, but man. I mean, and there were some parts in this where I was like literally laughing out loud in the movie theater. So, um, it, I mean, it is funny. And Joaquin Phoenix is is really, really good in the in the lead role. He's in basically every scene um, and does a really good job of, I don't know, making it like hold together in, I guess, a sort of way. Because I get when you're watching a movie as an audience member, you really want something just to latch onto. And, um, I mean, so, I mean, I'm very excited sometimes in movies where I really don't know what's going to happen. And I did get like some parts of this movie. I was very like interested by and I was really curious and excited. And I think a lot of that has to do with Joaquin Phoenix sort of holding it together. Um, and, and it's a unusual really good performance. I think it's kind of unusual casting, but it really works because I think of Joaquin Phoenix as being one of these, like kind of really masculine, t- not in like a macho, you know, obnoxious, tough guy way, but there's this real kind of grit and uh, presence to him. I mean, with a vulnerability, I think, but, you know, he's played like Johnny Cash and Walk the Line. He's mm-hmm. in the original, you know, he's in Gladiator. Uh, you know, he's played some pretty tough, you know, kind of enigmatic characters and in this one it's almost like he's playing like a woody allen nebbish character (laughs) and uh, it's it's funny because aster is jewish and it may be like the ultimate jewish nightmare disappointing your mother movie but it's never explicitly said anything about the character being jewish or anyone being jewish it's just kind of understood i think and uh, you know joaquin phoenix is i don't think jewish but but, uh it's just interesting how there is uh it's i I also think that it's reminiscent of philip roth there's kind of this young man i mean the character is not young but uh there's something about seeing a character go through uh this that kind of connects to the jewish experience the anxiety mm-hmm. uh i don't know yeah i i think that well, that's the also... person i'd actually be really curious to know his opinion on it is woody allen i wonder if he's seen this no i don't think he sees many movies <laughs> you uh, don't think so <laughs> no he just I, makes I, them every year <laughs> i know i think that uh you know him watching uh i mean it, it's interesting though uh both scorsese's well, seen it and i think he really liked it Oh, yeah. I was going to say that both Joaquin Phoenix and Parker Posey, who are in this film, were both in a Woody Allen film a few years ago. <laughs> uh, this is Was that the like, one? Uh... Rational Man. Yeah, okay. It had Emma Stone in it, too. Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, and I heard Paul Schrader talk about it, where he said that he didn't love the movie. He's not sure he even liked the movie, but it's a film to be reckoned with, and it's a film that he hasn't stopped thinking about. I mean, it definitely uh, is that. And I mean... You have to give people credit for 
for taking swings, like you said, and, and trying to push boundaries and, and do things that aren't necessarily the things you're used to seeing. I mean, I think the other two movies we're going to review in a lot of ways did not take as big of swings as I necessarily thought they should have, but we can get to that in time. Um, anything else? On I want to mention how I think some of the best parts of the movie or be- best aspects of the movie are the supporting cast. I mean, uh, I think that, you know, it's kind of a genius casting to have Patty Lapone, who's best known as being this Broadway legend, mm-hmm. uh, had has been in, you know, certainly films and television before, but uh it's kind of like if you're gonna cast, you know, that role, it's like it's just like perfect casting. And she's not in the movie very much. Like we don't even see her hardly at all on screen until the no, very until end. like two hours into it. <laughs> but the fact that we hear it, her voice and we know it's Patty Lapone, there's this kind of weight <laughs> that's given to it. Um, I really like seeing uh, Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan, which is a very unusual couple, but that's okay because, you know, <laughs> everything's unusual in this film. Yes, they do a really good job of selling how, despite nothing making sense, it all is sort of happening how it's supposed to happen, or at least like there's at least some sort of logic that they're putting onto this thing that might not necessarily agree with the logic of Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, that was one of the more... It's a, I mean, each sort of sequence goes on for so, so long that they almost feel like their own movies in themselves. That I don't know, it's hard to sort of associate the Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan part with the Patty LaPone part or the part with Parker Posey or right. what we get in the first 40 minutes. Right. Um, I was going to say, did you, did, you re- did you recognize the voice of the rabbi? Uh, I know Bill Hader was in it for like a minute, but I don't remember who the rabbi I didn't recognize the voice of the rabbi, no. David Mamet. Really? Wow. Yeah, I felt very proud of myself that I for recognizing. I, like, no. <laughs> I, I was like, that sounds a lot like David Mamet. And, you um, might be able to count on like two hands the amount of people who could recognize that. I know it's like if you look at his IMDb page, <laughs> like his acting credits, virtually it's like that and having a voice on The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, I think too the I mean the movie's really technically well made. Uh, yes. The, there's so much kind of production design and the the cinematography and just the kind of the the chutzpah of putting this craziness on screen i i do think that there's some of it like i, I was listening to an interview um or a review of the film where they're talking that the last sequence of the movie does get a little too cgi and it feels a little mm-hmm. bit like it, it's the endings i mean the ending's supposed to be kind of disappointing in a way like a uh, the way it just kind of like literally, you know, putters out and just flips over and dies. No, mm-hmm. sorry, that's a spoiler, I guess. But uh, I guess we technically don't know if he actually dies. But uh, who knows if any of it even happened? I know I mean. he could be he could be under that boat breathing. I guess right. Yeah. But he might, uh, you know, still be sleeping. It's a nightmare. Right. But yeah, I, I it's a film. I would say this: so the first like uh, fourth of the year, third of the year. It's like absolutely one of the films that if you care about cinema, you should at least see it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely not a movie I would recommend to most people, like maybe no. like 80 percent, maybe even more than that. Um, but there's but no doubt the- Ari Aster is like one of the more unique voices. And and I'm really interested to see where he goes from now. And he has he never directed a movie, not from a screenplay he's written. Correct. Um, and I said right before we recorded that supposedly he's doing another film with Joaquin Phoenix. He's doing a Western. Hmm. 
Um, so he's kind of, Interesting. Uh, you know, he's, he's one of these directors that, you know, is kind of known as one of these, you know, new horror masters with, you know, Jordan Robert Peele, Eggers. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting, though, is that uh, I don't think uh, he thinks of himself that I mean, like Oliver Stone's first two films were horror movies. You know, there are a lot of Francis Ford Coppola, you know, did, you know, worked on the terror and directed Dementia 13. Yeah, there's a lot of directors that, you know, started in horror films, you know. But yeah, I mean, I, I expand as it goes on and. And yeah. if you're interested in horror, you're interested in genre. So I, I think a lot of times that can expand to Westerns or science fiction or all yeah. kinds of different stuff in war. And, and one thing I admire about Astor is like hearing him in interviews and seeing his Criterion Collection closet uh, video is that like he's a real cinema uh, fan. Like he's a real cinephile. I saw him in person last year at the five hour screening of the kingdom uh the third season of Lars von Trier's the kingdom he was in the audience seeing that um so you know if you're going to sit through five hours of Lars von Trier you're you're serious about cinema Um, (laughs) there's no doubt about that yeah I also saw him in the audience of the Irishman so maybe he just really loves long long movies (laughs) yeah um I mean five hours I mean I mean all of his movies are like two hour ten minute plus yeah, Midsummer is definitely like yeah, two and a half hour plus. Yeah, and uh, I well, yeah, Midsummer and there's a director's cut too that's like oh, almost the, right, right, right. I've never seen it. I own it on Blu-ray actually, but it's like just under three hours. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it's a mixed recommendation, but I, I certainly recommend seeing the film though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you are interested in in yeah, and seeing all tour directors and and movies that sort of get you excited about the possibility of what movies can do. This is definitely one of them. Um, and we will transition to, I wouldn't say necessarily the complete opposite, but uh, <laughs> something quite different based on existing IP. It is Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who previously directed Vacation and Game Night. Uh, starring Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Reggie Jean Page, Hugh Grant, and some other faces people will probably recognize. It is an adaptation of the popular tabletop game that follows an ex-convict trying to reconnect with his daughter. Uh, it premiered March 10th, 2023 at South by Southwest and was released wide in the U.S. March 31st. It is now streaming on Paramount+, Plus, a Metacritic score of 72 and around a tomato score of 91. The scores from Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic for me are shocking that they're that high. And to me is a real sign that critics just sort of let people get away with the bare minimum. I did not think this was a great movie. I thought it was like fun and entertaining, but like totally fleeting and extremely formulaic. And I'm starting to get really annoyed by the way that franchise movies try to have this sort of emotional core, usually having to do with like a young teenage daughter that the main character needs to reconnect with. It's like, this is a Dungeons and Dragons movie. I'm not really interested in ex-cons reconnecting with their daughters in Dungeons and Dragons movies. I think maybe I'm being a little harsh, but Jonathan, what did you think of this? I actually think it might be my favorite of the three movies. We're really? reviewing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just enjoyed it. It's fun. It's funny. It, like, not in it the is same funny. Way. Chris Pine, yeah. I think, gives the funniest performance of his career. He's really funny in it, actually. Yeah, I mean, and Hugh Grant has kind of had this second 
you know this kind of it's like paddington too yeah i mean he's like uh i mean he he's been in comedies you know his whole career you know back to four he had a very viral a oscars interview on the red carpet yeah i mean but he's a, re- a really funny person and really you know when he's cast in the right role I and mean, he's actually done a lot of interesting work in the last 10 years he's kind of almost like a reconnaissance he's like reminding people like <laughs> when he's in good material he's I could like really <laughs> funny yeah yeah i mean okay i have no connection virtually no knowledge at all of the game like More, I, I, the only sort of connection i have it with is with it being depicted in other media like stranger things or something like that <laughs> right that's that's exactly the same with me i uh i like i i know enough that dnd oh that's dungeons and dragons but um you know, I, I, it's like a board game. You throw some dice. There's pieces. You move <laughs> on a board. Are are there like interactive video game versions of it? Do you know? I uh, I don't know. I know there was a movie trilogy that that finished like 10, 15 years ago or something like that. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, this isn't generally my type of film. I'm I'm not a fan. Uh, I mean, there's well, yeah. Fa- like this is almost are, like a spoof of fantasy, though. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sword and sorcery movie in a way, uh, but it's just like a, a funny adventure comedy. And it, I was going to say like Bo is afraid, not nearly as indulgent, but it is like two <laughs> hours and 15 minutes. It goes on a little too long. It does. There, are, there are scenes where, you know, the, the joke the, gets a little tired after the first 10 seconds. Like, Oh, yeah. Bradley Cooper's small. Oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I, and I think there's some parts that, you know, the big spectacle CGI effects, they, they, it, some of those scenes, like you get a little, okay, this is a little numbing. And, but yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the movie. I found it funny and charming and uh, it's light on its feet. It's just, it, I mean, it's like for what a Dungeons and Dragons movie, you know, I had no preconceptions about like what that was. Like I, I, I went in with no, you know baggage no expectations like what this is supposed to be i just had a good time i probably will never see the movie again uh yeah. but honestly if there was a sequel and it may watch it <laughs> yeah i mean it's like I, I also i would much rather see a sequel to this than what's been happening with like the evil dead movies like i would like in my that's kind More of like any horror one. franchise really well, no, no. I mean, I, I, I'm excited to see Terrifier three and Scream <laughs> seven, but no, I mean, no, I like certain horror franchises, but yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I'd give it like three and a half out of five. I enjoyed it. I, I laughed. The cast is really good, and like I thought the emotional the stuff cast is good. <laughs> I would say the emotional stuff worked for me. It's like it never. It did know, not it, work for me. It's like movie is like ninety percent comedy and adventure and there's like 10 percent like kind of real emotional stuff and it's like see i'd be good with that but it was like 25 percent real emotional stuff well i didn't feel like it was and it it, i never felt like the movie the movie was so funny and kind of uh snarky is not the right word because it's not like it's a really kind of good spirited film yeah yeah it, it manages to be what's interesting about the tone is that it's kind of spoofy in in kind of a way the princess bride is i think would be an interesting you know comparison but it's also earnest like it manages to be kind of winking and silly but also it just it does what it does like with great enthusiasm it's it's almost in the way that like mel brooks's best films 
are ones where he's spoofing something that he legitimately had an affinity for, like the 1930s Frankenstein films from Universal and Westerns. And then with a movie like Spaceballs, it's like, I don't really sure that like Mel Brooks. He likes Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, Not even that he's like, you know, shitting on it, but that he just like, it's not something he has a great affinity for. And I mean, this is totally off topic, but some people think like Spaceballs is like one of the great comedies of all time. It's not a very good movie, uh, but uh, I, I have a special affinity for it because I saw it for the first time when I was like six. You know, Dun- but... Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves is a better movie than Spaceballs. A hundred percent. And I think what you said there is important, the sort of enthusiasm. I think that's the biggest thing it has going for it is the enthusiasm of the director writing team, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. And then Chris Pine is like a very willing star. Um, who's willing to be silly and it has some really, really funny parts of it. But uh, a lot of times the jokes go on for a bit too long. Like, you know, it's like not necessarily a great joke in the first place and they beat it to death. And um, you, well, you certainly enjoyed this one. Yes. The three, yeah. The I, no, no. Yeah. 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 It's not like I hate this movie. It's not like I think this is like, you know, I mean, I came in strong saying like, this is people <laughs> giving credit for like the least possible. Um, like enjoyment thing like oh it's like oh this isn't awful what a great movie and i think sort of marvel fatigue has sort of led to that where i think that's like everything everywhere all at once i think i mentioned the like universal praise for that i think had a lot to do with how bad dr strange and some of the other marvel multiverse stuff was and you know i think people just are with all because fantasy with game of thrones especially it became like a very sort of like serious dark genre um, about like making big points about human behavior and you know man's inhumanity to man and this is like a fantasy that gets back to like you know it is a silly genre it's not like these worlds exist or you know magic is real or stuff like that so there sort of needs to be a sort of winkingness to it um, and not to say like Game of Thrones didn't work but to sort of like try to recapture what that had I don't think necessarily works for the genre as well as something like this does where um, this is more like the Hobbit movies where it's like silly and almost like for kids. Um, well, it's like, it's like what after Nolan did the Dark Knights trilogy, it's like not every comic book film should be this dark, gritty Michael <laughs> yeah. Mann, like, you know. Tribute where like people are like, you know, criminals looking for redemption. Their parents died or were abusive or something. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's also a Monty Python quality to it, I would say. Definitely. Holy um, Grail. Yeah, yes, definitely. I mean, in... I think of John St. Francis Daly mostly from being the kid from Freaks and Geeks. So it's still surprising to me that he's having a successful career as a filmmaker. Um, he's like 40 probably now. Oh, I know, but he still kind of looks the same. So it's hard not to think of him that way. Um, but I don't know. Chris Pine, I find also, I wouldn't say like a baffling star, but he's he makes some interesting career choices in a way that I don't think a lot of stars necessarily would. Like do something like attach themselves to something like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I think this might be my favorite performance he's ever given. I, I don't think that it would be a huge stretch to say because I don't think he really has been great in too many movies. I mean, I'm trying to think. Really Obviously, like, Hell or High Water is a great yeah. movie, but I don't think he's like what makes that movie work the same way that um, Jeff Bridges and Ben Foster deliver like really good performances in that. Chris Pine, I think, more sort of served as like a star to get that movie funding than necessarily was like, wow, Chris Pine was great or in Hell or High Water. 
Um, but I, like, he's I really think, funny in this. Yeah, I think he was really inspired casting in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films. Is yes. Um, uh, oh, I'm I'm losing Captain Kirk. Geek. Yeah, Captain Kirk. Uh, <laughs> I, I was losing my geek cred. I couldn't remember that instantly. Uh-huh. Uh, William Shatner's character, but yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, who, uh, Tarantino's actually a really big fan of Chris Pine. That he's like spoken the praises of him. And really, is he yeah. going to be in uh, the film critic or whatever the next movie is? I'm not sure. He's only got one I... more chance to work with him if he keeps to his word. I know he's one of the many Chris's. There's like all these Chris's that are, you know, it's like, which Chris is in which, which Marvel is like, I know I have a really hard time saying, not saying Pratt, Chris P, Chris Pine, Chris Pratt. Yeah. Well, the one I get confused with is um, Chris Evans. (laughs) Yeah. I I get, I mean, I generally, I can, but it's like, there's some of the movies. I also, do you have actors you like get, like, I always can't remember which films Ewan McGregor and um jude law i get them confused <laughs> I, I i can't remember which one was I, in moulin rouge <laughs> it's like i know who each of them are but i forget sometimes which of them was in a certain movie but, that's funny they're starting yeah. to sort of be on each other's corner these days is the sort of aging british actor roles I know. Um, uh no i enjoyed this movie i yeah i enjoy i mean yeah I went, but I mean, this is definitely like a movie people can sort of like be on their phones and they're watching and stuff like that i mean you should never do that but if but it requires to. like bare minimum attention it's almost like a series of gags more than like a real story um i mean i have problems with it i mean i more have sort of problems with it being so well received critically when I well think but like it's a thing too where it's like the Rotten Tomatoes rating, you have to take into consideration that it's yay or nay. It's up or down. Yeah, yeah, up. yeah. But I mean, it, Metacritic score is pretty high. Audience well, rating but, like, is like, it, really it, high. It has like 10 points high. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, it's... It's it's not like it's a 100. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like a three and a half out of five star rating. And I think that's fine. I think it's like a two and a half. I mean... I liked it. I mean, it's funny. It's, a, it's not a bad movie. But... I think we can do better. And I think well, I would be say higher standards. I would. I mean, I I'm not judging these films without having seen them. But like I, you know, having seen this movie, like I don't care about seeing Fast X. I don't care about seeing the Little Mermaid remake. <laughs> I don't care about seeing Ant Man three. I don't care about seeing uh, Guardians of Galaxy three. I mean, uh-huh. it's like like this movie. Like I'm not saying it's better than those because I haven't seen any of those. But I cared more about seeing it. I mean it. It I introduced mean, the world effectively, I think, also, and, and allowed the possibilities of sequels that yeah. I would be interested in it because I'd, I'd like to see where they go with this. It has like, uh, you know, 15 points higher than like almost all those movies I just mentioned by Metacritic, you know, and it probably deserves it. I mean, but I think those movies are setting a really low bar, specifically Marvel right now. I, I guess think- for me, I went in with like no expectations, no connection to the game and i just like oh i enjoyed this like i you know i, <laughs> I didn't sat- hate it it was fun it's funny some interesting yeah. stuff happened and i also think because it's not generally the type of film i go to see the fact that i was like oh i enjoyed this actually you know made it so a bigger achievement or i just was like i you know i went in like oh what is this, this got this got surprisingly good reviews I was like, oh, I enjoyed this. That's my review. I enjoyed it, you know. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if it if it does get a, a sequel, because I'm looking at the 
the return was apparently 200 million on a 150 million budget which i think if a studio is spending 150 million they expect a little more return than 200 so i think i would be surprised if it did get a sequel based on that um but you never know maybe it'll do great and you know uh pay-per-view or something like that and for so many movies now there's like I mean, the next one we're going to talk about was originally supposed to be a streaming movie, but early audience scores said, hey, we can make some money off this. So let's release it. So it's becoming very fluid as to what a theatrical movie is and what a streaming movie is these days. Yeah. So, before we start reviewing the next one, Evil Dead Rise, let's just say that it's kind of insane to me that there have been numerous films that were created. They were pitched, created with the intention of going straight to streaming one last year was smile yeah uh, air and, this year yeah uh um well that one was that intended to yeah it was supposed to be just an amazon prime movie and not ever be released in theaters no okay well what's interesting though is that like smile did exceptionally well at the box office and evil dead rise for a movie that has as little budget as it does has done extremely well yeah i think one big misstep they did last year is not putting prey in theaters the Predator. yes 100 percent. i could easily see that making 100 million dollars at least worldwide oh my god yeah i mean if smile and evil dead rise yeah or 100 yeah. 100 to 150 million prey i mean that was like a really good movie and i think word of mouth it would have like continue to like have people going to theaters for you know multiple weeks so i think that's a good call that was a missed opportunity i don't understand like even with evil dead rise it's like it's just doing exceptionally well at the box office and then it's like let's put on streaming as soon as we can no (laughs) keep it like have make people to go to the theater like i don't understand that and it was like it's a different area a little bit, but it's like putting glass onion in the theater for just one week. It's like, why don't they want to make money? You know, <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, in some way, I think we're going to reach a, a crisis point, especially with the writer strike for a lot with these streaming services. We're going to, they're going to have to take a real hard look at themselves and, and, you know, see where their opportunities for making or losing money are actually coming from. And that maybe they need a sort of, return to the traditional theatrical window and traditional sort of network releases of time and date, you know, every, every same time, every day of the week, because if they just, if they just put everything on streaming and then they don't pay people residuals, like they should, it's like, they're just taking things off of streaming services and it's crazy. Some of it's just going to like disappear. I like if something's just an original series on a streaming service and then they take it off, that's yeah, nowhere. Yeah, I know it. They then a lot of these things have never been released on physical media. But all right, well, we're going to review a horror film, the fifth in a series of sorts. Uh, you could say a sixth in a way. But we're going to review Evil Dead Rise. Uh, yeah, from a we, from a massive Evil Dead fan, from Jonathan, I'm more of a yeah. casual Evil Dead fan. But I think we have some strong opinions on this one. So we will be back after the break. Hello, we are back uh, to review our third movie. Um, we did one original one based on previous IP that hopefully was the start of a new franchise. This is the sixth entry or the fifth entry into the Evil Dead film series. And I think it's hoping to launch its own trilogy, which I expect it probably will, considering 
the box office return on a $15 million budget. Um, it is Evil Dead Rise, directed by Lee Cronin, who also wrote the movie, whose previous uh, feature was The Hole in the Ground. Did you see that? No. I didn't either. Uh, starring Lily Sullivan and Alyssa Sutherland. Um, when an earthquake reveals a secret room in an old apartment building, the Book of the Dead is discovered, and two estranged sisters must protect their family from the evil that is unleashed by the book. It pre- uh, premiered March 15th, 2023 at South by Southwest, the Ides of March. Uh, was released wide in the U.S. April 21st. Uh, it is not currently streaming, by, but I assume it will be on HBO Max maybe by the end of the month. A Metacritic score of 69 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 84. As the Resident Evil Dead uh, super fan and expert, Jonathan, the floor is yours for Evil Dead Rise. Yes, so there was the original trilogy of films, all directed by Sam Raimi, that constitutes The Evil Dead, which you and I actually watched together. You saw for the first time when you visited me a a few months ago. There's The Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, and Army of Darkness, or as the original... Yeah, (laughs) the Army of Darkness was originally going to be titled possibly The Medieval Dead. Uh, Then many years later, 10 years ago from now, in 2013, there was a film remake that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Rob Tapper produced called Evil Dead. Then there was a three-season television series on Stars titled Ash versus Evil Dead that St. Raimi directed the pilot of and which he produced the series. Now we have a what is it? Is it's just another part in the franchise. It's not it's really an expansion a, of the universe, I suppose. Right. It's not really a sequel. It's not really a remake. It's kind of a just another one. Kind of the way Mad Max Fury Road was just like another Mad Max film. This is another Evil Dead movie. In Predator the Two. It's like shifts right. its location to L.A. <laughs> right. Um. So I really dislike this movie strongly. Uh, <laughs> I have a deep love of the original Raimi films, especially the first two. I mean, I enjoy Army of Darkness, but I really adore like I the, the two of my favorite films ever are the first two Evil Dead films directed by Sam Raimi, and I remember when the remake from 2013 was going to come out and at first i was like oh god this is horrible this is blasphemous how can you do a remake of the evil dead and then i heard that like i said Raimi and bruce campbell and rob tapper the producer of the original movie they were all producers on it and that they were going to use a lot of practical effects they weren't going to use a lot of cgi and i was like oh I actually kind of got excited for it. And then I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, this could be really gnarly. And I have to say this is random, but one of the reasons that I felt kind of not in the greatest mood when I saw the remake is that Roger Ebert had just died. And yeah. I was like, oh, this, it like was really sad to me. And so I was like, well, you know, what better way than to go to see this movie, you know, any movie in the theater. And I was like, I just really disliked the movie. and I really disliked the new one even more. Uh, I, I think the best way to summarize it is I'm taking this from Mark Kermode, the British film critic. He said the original films directed by Sam Raimi are yee and the remake. And I feel like the new film are like, <laughs> and I feel the problem is 
with the original movies for as graphic and gory and as outrageous as they are, they're not really mean spirited except for the tree rape scene in the original film, which Raimi has said he regrets and he wouldn't do if you were doing the film today. Uh, but there is this fun house razzle dazzle blow your socks off blow you to the back of the theater just kind of explosion of young talent and cinematic bravado and like i said they're nasty kind of grotesque like some of the still some of the goriest bloodiest films ever made extremely violent but the original films are so fun Mm -hmm. there's just like there there's kind of this you know they're nasty but they're not like cruel and ugly and i feel like the new films are mean-spirited and just they just leave a bad taste in my mouth and i admire how gory and graphic they are and that they do especially the remake i have to say really did use a lot of practical effects uh but i just it's just a tonal thing I just really dislike the grunginess, the, I won't say that it's like in the torture porn category of Saw and Hostel because they are, you know, deadites, they're zombie-like creatures. uh, And so they're not really, you know, you're not really doing it to just out and out people. But I just, the movies just are, this 2013 remake and this new one, I just they they made me sad and just I I just felt really disappointed in you know and it's like you could do a remake a reimagining another part in the franchise and do and, and do it differently a different tone but I just have such affinity for the originals that I just you know I just sat there and I was like I just don't like any of the decisions that this movie's making the director is making yeah I just it left. I just really dislike this movie strongly. Well, I mean, that's that's essentially how I felt as well, despite not being um, as much. I mean, I like the the original trilogy, but it's not like I'm as devoted to it as you are. Um, but like, I, I, I think that people... I think the torture porn comparison like is pretty apt to stuff like Hostel or Saw, where it's like you're just seeing gross stuff, kind of for the point of being gross. Like, there's a scene where someone's eating a wine glass. Um, and you like see the glass, you know, poking through her her neck as she's swallowing it. It's like, what is this for? Like, what is this about? Like, <laughs> are you just like trying to come up? You like made a list of like the gnarliest things that that could happen to a person, and let's just like have a checklist um, as this movie goes on. Um, I mean, there was a few interesting moments of it. I thought there was one sort of shot through. Um, what do you call it? A peephole? What's the keyhole, thing? Yeah. A keyhole. Yeah. Well, that I no, was no, 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 peephole. Yeah. Is it? Well, <laughs> I don't want to say something wrong. <laughs> well, it's not the keyhole, but it's the the, the what you like the, the little sort of distorted image you yeah, get looking yeah. through the door of an apartment building that I thought yeah. was kind of interesting, and and there were some interesting moments in it, but I think the mean spiritedness uh, I think is I think you have that spot on. Like, um, it's almost like designed to put off an audience in a way that I guess horror movies are supposed to sort of play with stuff that people want to see but like don't really say they want to see or it sort of like shows us um some things that are sort of transgressive or beyond what we expect to see in the sort of normal world and that's what excites people but the just sort of like 
being gross and violent for the sake of being gross and violent, I thought was like almost the dominant mood of this movie. Like that's almost like what it was for was to like show the most outrageously violent things that a person could think of Um, in a way that, like you said, I don't think really meshed with what the evil dead franchise really is. Like there is gnarly stuff. There's stuff that like grosses people out, but there's almost like a winkingness and, um, and, and the quality of the effects they use, um, it's not like it makes you sort of like distant from it or like acknowledge that it is an effect, but um, the like physicality and material sort of like tactile nature of it, I think makes it almost, it's not like it's satisfying to see violent things done, but um, it it doesn't make it quite so off-putting um, when it's sort of like all CGI or um, you just like don't necessarily trust the person who's making the movie to, to take you to these places in a way that, I do with Sam Raimi, and I don't think this Lee Cronin, I I haven't seen his other movie, but um, it, it didn't sort of like earn its violence in a way that I thought the original trilogy did. Well, and you talked about Dungeons and Dragons not earning its emotions. It's like this movie starts out and you're like supposed to care about these characters. And I'm like never the person to say this or like make a complaint like this. Uh, you know, when Tarantino is asked about, oh, you know, real world violence, like, is it, you know, okay, how soon after a mass shooting is it okay to watch a movie like Django Unchained? But it sort of celebrates know, violence. Yeah. But with the Evil Dead Rise, like, you know, there's like this eight year old girl or something, and like you're seeing her like watching this like horrific violence, and you're seeing her quivering and crying, and like there's just blood everywhere. And uh, it like, it's just cruel and it's not funny and it's like the in the film tries to also be kind of this you know about like motherhood and stuff like that yeah but i was saying too it also tries to be like kind of playful in the way Raimi is but it just it just comes off as just kind of cruel like where the i it reminds me a lot of the famous roger Ebert quote where he said a film is not about what it is about but about how it is about it, where it's like there are disgusting and outrageous things that happen in the original Raimi films, but it's not just watching depravity. or Yeah, like kids die in this movie. I I know it's (laughs) like Raimi has a wit. I mean, it really is like the Three Stooges and Looney Tunes put through the meat grinder. And there's this, like I said, cinematic bravado. There's just like, I mean, it's one to me, the original Evil Dead is like one of the great feature directorial debuts there's just so much creativity and energy and madness put on screen and like with the new evil dead movies like in theory there's some really gnarly kills and torture and like gruesome stuff but it just feels like that's all there is to it like there's not this like that's that is all there is it's yeah. not like I mean they didn't create the mythology. I don't even really understand what purpose the mythology really serves in this movie. To be honest, yeah, I mean it's also <laughs> like the original film. Uh, you know, it, it's like a group of young people go to a cabin in the woods. Boom, that's the plot. Like there's, yeah, you know, like Ashes like gives his girlfriend the little necklace with the eyeglass on it. But like there's like virtually no character development, and it's <laughs> no. like you could criticize the movie for that. But it's like, in a way, you know, you're creating. It, it's like Bruce Campbell is. Well, in a way, it like, makes the violence more palatable for an audience because it's we're like not... he's like Wiley e. Coyote almost, yeah. you know, or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or 
or he's you know it's like the three stooges are basically you know they're beating the crap out of each other yeah yeah it's like actually assault on siblings it's not really funny it's like someone actually poking someone's finger into their eye is like horrific and would really hurt but when you have like this the choreography of the slapstick and the sound effect of the violin pluck it's like that's what makes it funny it's like just having someone poke their eyes is it's funny. cruel and horrific <laughs> i know and like with the evil dead the newer films there's just this idea like oh let's be really gross and gory but there's no like wit or kind of there's nothing more to it than just being gory and you know and and like there's and there's even things that like Raimi could do some of the same set pieces like on paper do it but he would do it like with humor and a kind of madcap energy to it that would elevate it to like this is just like wallowing and like pain and suffering and <laughs> yeah it's actually like if it didn't have the sort of Evil Dead attached to it and this sort of understanding that it's almost supposed to be kind of funny, it would be like a really, really cruel movie. Um, so it almost like shields it slightly more to the amount of... But maybe that makes it like even more of like it overstepping the boundary and that it is sort of borrowing, um, you know, the goodwill that the original trilogy has bought for it in a way that... I don't know. Like this movie probably wouldn't be making a lot of money if it if it wasn't called Evil Dead. Um, I, I also think that there's something about you know, like I do think there is quite a bit of practical effects in this new movie. There are a lot of you know actual fake blood being pumped out on set, prosthetics, but there's still like there's a me, lot there's, of blood. I that there's like should be zero CGI in an Evil Dead movie. Like there's just something about like the original movies too, where it's like, that's a, like a dummy's head on a stick. They're pushing up from the floorboards. It should be and, like a dog me 95 thing. If you're going to make well, an evil dead. Well, <laughs> well, no, I mean, but it's just like, there, there's this handcrafted quality of the original films where it's just like, there's the rubber and the makeup and the, you know, the blood being sprayed through hoses. You can see the hose popping out of the character's, makeup but there's something really charming about that and it feels like you know this thing's been crafted and there's been so much heart and i don't know these new movies like i really feel like the filmmakers they did like they i'm sure they really do have an affinity for the original raimi films but they just i don't know like just feel kind of soulless and like why are we like what like why make evil dead movies that like have virtually no humor or the kind yeah. of wit of this. It's like, it's well, like, I think it's such an important part of those is Bruce Campbell and the, yeah. the performance that he's giving. And the Lily Sullivan, who's the lead in this is much more just like a traditional horror movie, you know, heroin in a way that would, is not really any different than any other horror movie that we see these days. So there you isn't know, we, nearly the same sort of like, almost overacting almost like pantomime quality that that bruce campbell gives there's nothing close to that in any, in any yeah. performance in this I, I mean in a weird way it's like bruce campbell you can almost make a comparison to Bo, where he's like this sad sack who has all these horrors almost job like like all this insanity <laughs> yeah. thrust upon him and there's this kind of you know but like i don't even think the original movies there aren't cruel like yes it's like all this stuff is happening but there's this kind of it's it's like you understand in this like 
comic book cartoon three stooges it's world. so broad and the yeah. physical performance yeah um, and like when you're watching like an eight-year-old girl whimpering under because yeah, her mom is trying to kill her or something <laughs> right you know it's like i i'm not saying like you can't ever have a kid in a horror film i mean there's like poltergeist like is a really wonderful <laughs> horror film but it's just there's something about these new ones that just really i mean like the uh cheese grater on the skin it rubs me the wrong way <laughs> i think that's i think that's a good way to put it um i'm i'm really surprised how well this movie's done like um, i said uh before be we started recording i have horror friends not like the friends are horror but that they're horror <laughs> fans who really like this movie they's like this is the third best in the series after the original two and that wow it's like they they just had an absolute ball it supposedly went incredibly well at the premiere at south by southwest i mean i just like i do admire that i mean it really is one of the more gory bloody horror movies out there these days like i admire oh, that 100 is <laughs> but i i just don't like what to what ends it's being used for i just yes. uh yeah and also there's something about modern movies sometimes where like even if some of it is actually practical effects it doesn't just, look like it well like movies are just so color corrected and like so much is tinkered with in post that there's just this kind of screensaver quality to the image where it just like you watch those original evil dead movies and they feel like there's dirt on the ground and there's grain and grit in the on the screen and there's there's you feel like that's a real cabin in a real woods and there's mm -hmm. actually a camera mounted on a board being run through the forest and like there you know that is like caro syrup splattered on the floor in that bruce campbell's face and this new movie like even though some of it's like oh that really looked like it was practical effects there's this this kind of digital sheen to some modern movies where it's like even if that was done practically it just it doesn't it just looks fake now you know yeah. with all the post work that's done so yeah, I really this is like one of my least favorite films of the year and I just kind of I really don't want to see any more Evil Dead unless it's Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. Um or I mean, you know, horror movies I, I would... have just become so sort of big budget these days and it seems like almost more than any other genre they're almost guaranteed to give return on investment. Um well, there's still a lot of films that are made, a lot of horror films made on a low budget. I mean, once, yeah. uh, uh, you know, like Smile and Barbarian were very low budget films. They just made a lot of money. Yeah. But I think I, I'll say this. like I wouldn't even be against like another Evil Dead film, but like I want them to be funny. Mm -hmm. I want them to have kind of a wit to them. And I just feel like these movies, even when they're trying to be funny or have humor, they're just, they're kind of it's mean spirited in the way the original films aren't mm -hmm. i just yeah so uh i you know some people really have liked this new movie um you know it's gotten surprisingly good it's reviews. definitely not for people who are uncomfortable with seeing violence on screen yeah That's... and i say definitely don't watch it unless you've seen at least the first two evil dead original ones but uh, i mean the you, aside you from like playing it. the recording and us sort of being aware of the Book of the Dead or the Necronomicon, or I can't remember what the exact sort of phrasing yeah. of this almost bears like no relation to, 
to the movies. So well, I mean, it just takes the basic conceit. I mean, it's also of the people first... coming back to life and sort of yeah. being monsters. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's just like I'm not saying that every Evil Dead movie has to be a cabin in the woods, but I don't know. It just uh, I don't. It know. didn't work it... for me. No. And it's not like I thought it's the worst movie ever made, but um, I didn't really like it. Uh, It was a movie where I was sort of hoping, like, I hope this ends. I'm sort of done with this movie, which is not something you ever want to feel when you're watching a movie. Yeah, and it's like, you know, not that long either. No, so I was like, this is really testing my patience. I will say that all three of the original movies are like right around 85 minutes long or something. Yes. So So, yeah, a tradition for brevity in the Evil Dead universe. Um, well, I think that is it for this week's episode. We had three movies from 2023 reviewed for you. Um, I'm sure we will be, uh, reviewing movies in a shorter proximity or shorter duration from the last episode to the next one. So if, if I'll you make just sure watch to try more and, movies, yeah, yeah. I'll try to make sure to, to catch up to Jonathan's count. Um, but we are going to have a sort of, a a different uh well i guess we have some sort of feature episodes but our next one is going to be not reviews but something slightly different to uh commemorate a, a sort of watershed moment in the the history of of film distribution and, and home video um rest so thank in you peace rest <laughs> in peace netflix through the mail we'll just say that uh-huh. so thank you for listening and uh we will be back with you guys next time <laughs>